In this episode of Zero to One Million, I have the pleasure of speaking with Will Schroeder. Will Schroeder, he's the CEO and founder of Startups.com, which he acquired, and a number of other companies that help you fundraise, they help you meet mentors for your startups. It's basically an ecosystem for you to build a startup from beginning all the way to scale. It's amazing. So he basically helps thousands of startups every single month. And we have just a great discussion about true entrepreneurship and where that comes from. Sometimes it's in your childhood. Sometimes it's in you know, your personality. And we just have this good conversation about really rethinking what success is. You know, it's not building a billion dollar company all the time. And we talk about a metric I think more founders and entrepreneurs should talk about and really track more and that and that's happiness. Um, this is probably one of my favorite conversations. Will is an amazing human being, an incredibly talented entrepreneur and a very accomplished one. And just one of the most humble people I've had the pleasure of speaking with. So Really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do too. All right, with me I have Will. Will, thanks for joining me on the show. Appreciate having me, man. A lot to talk about today. I know. So we've chatted a little bit before we started recording, and I wanted to dive in. So you've started multiple companies. You've acquired multiple companies. You've had companies acquired. You've had a lot of success in your career. But I want to dive into like the motivations for you as an entrepreneur. What got you started early? You know, what what got you to your first company? What was it? What did it do? Sure. Um, to be fair, I never thought in a million years I'd be ever be in business. Uh, to, to give you a sense for it, I started my career as an actor. <laughs> like, I, mean, I don't mean like a theater actor. I mean like doing commercials, like like a bad actor, not, not like a Broadway were you, actor. Were you like a background extra? I, like, I was person but... number six. I was like, you know, I, like there's, I've done nothing notable. There is, there's no highlight reel of that part of my career. Um, and that, that only came out of that, not because I had any interest in theater or acting or anything else like that because it was the dumbest, laziest path I could take when I was heading into college to get into college. I mean, I literally went through the course book and said, what's the only thing that I can't fail at? And I saw a theater major and I'm like, how can I screw that up? So that was my, that, that was my career. Um, but it didn't start like that. And I just want to point out that my, my career didn't start with ambitions of being a CEO or, or even being in business. Um, I think like a lot of entrepreneurs, my career started out of desperation. And, you know, people think desperation, like, hey, our startup started, we don't have a lot of money. Um, you know, I'm really desperate. Nah, I'm, I'm going way back. <laughs> I'm yeah. talking when I was like eight. And, you know, I grew up uh, in, in a, with a single mother. Uh, I hadn't met my dad. Um, we were very, very, very broke. Um, my, my brother had just been born a couple years later. Um, and I was kind of his father, if you will, even at a very young age. And we didn't have any money. And so for me, entrepreneurship or kind of how we would think about it actually had to do with going out and trying to figure out how to make money. In my case, I would, I would sell now and laters uh, at the bus stop every morning. So I would have cash to pay for lunch every day. So for me, like making money, making profit wasn't like a, a greed thing like that. Hey, that would be cool. It was a like I had to do it. Otherwise, I wasn't going to eat. And I think when you grow up like that, when you grow up poor, but when you grow up desperate, um, 
it forces you to think about entrepreneurship because it's a survival mechanism. I mean, like when you think about your own childhood growing up, where did you see that? Because I see that in a lot of entrepreneurs. I'm guessing it wasn't much different for you. No, it definitely was not. So I also grew up without a, a father. He passed away around six. And we were on food stamps. So I grew up in San Clemente, though. So it was a little silver lining. I was born in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Terrible area. But then for some reason, God was like, hey, let's get this kid out to a beautiful beach town. Um, but I think that's so fascinating. And I meet a lot of entrepreneurs like this. My previous angel investor, Christian Friedland, um, very similar story. Growing up poor. And when you grow up poor, money tends to be more top of mind than when you have money. So when I think about, you know, when I started, you know, businesses when I was young, it was in a similar vein of I need to make money because I don't have any money. And why I does need everyone to make else? Money. Yeah. Yeah. And so that can be just such, you know, obviously it's not the ideal way to grow up. I don't wish it on anyone, but you know, it's also a blessing in disguise. Would you agree with that? Because it's obviously motivated you in ways that you know, nothing ever probably could. You know, everybody talks about life being as simple as fear or greed, and and there's a lot of shades in between, but let's just stick with fear for a second. Fear is a powerful motivator. It's also something, by the way, that I've never unwound. You know, I'm 46. I've been at this a long time. I've been a millionaire since I was 22 years old. I live in terror every single day of losing everything. There's never been a day in my entire life, my entire career, where I've ever said to myself, everything's okay now, I'm good. And it doesn't matter at this point if I make a billion dollars at this point. Doesn't matter. Um, I'm going to feel exactly the same way. That's just like hard-coded into my DNA. I'll be honest with you, it's not awesome. It was awesome when I had to fight to survive. It was an important survival technique. But that's not the way I live anymore. But the fear is still there, right? So it's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it's awesome when you need it. It's not awesome when you don't, right? And it's way harder to unwind than people than people understand or think it is. So one thing that comes to mind that I can relate to is, so when I was building business apps that, you know, I felt like that was my shot. That was my yeah. shot at a, at a different life, not just for me, but for my family, my children. Um, I'm a dad now and successfully exited that business. feel extremely grateful. But I look back and I literally was working 100-hour weeks, maybe even like 500 hour a week, if that's even physically possible. I felt like I never slept. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was always drinking like some sort of caffeinated thing. I was working every single weekend. Yep. Uh, like, you know, sometimes like that drive, it, it comes from a place, you know, in your childhood or just something that motivates you deeply. Like you said, fear. Yeah. My fear was I needed this business to be successful and I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Right. But when, I look, but when I look back on it now, sometimes I think, you know, why did I work that hard? Like, why did I push myself? Do you ever have any thoughts like that? Like where, yeah, you look back and you built these enormous businesses. Sure. It wasn't easy. I'm sure you put in a lot of similar hours. Sure. Are you, are you ever like, why, why the hell did I grind that hard to get to where you are now? You know, um, at that point, it made, made sense. I didn't have anything. I was broke. I didn't know anything. So I had to work twice as hard to make up for all the things that I didn't know. The real question would be, why are you still working like that? Because now you've done this as long as you could possibly do this. I've done nine startups over almost 30 years. 
I've lived so many lives at this point. I run startups.com. I run a company that specifically explains <laughs> to you how startups are going to work. It's like, I, I, I keep going through high school. Like I already know what the answers are, right? But I keep going through the same process. The question is, why do I feel, you know, similar anxiety or stress, um, even though I already know how this is supposed to play out? Truth is, I have less of it, right? Again, because it's like, yes, things are going to suck for a while. Yes, this is going to be stressful. I kind of know it's coming. You still feel it, right? Yeah. If, I, if I tell you, hey, I'm going to punch you in the face, no matter how many times you've been punched in the face and you know exactly how it's going to feel, still going to hurt. <laughs> right? yeah. You still have that, you know, that, 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 that raw feeling. Um, so all that said, uh, I think there's a time and a place for it. I think where that breaks, and I think that's kind of what you're alluding to, like, you know, where does putting all that time and effort and, and all that sacrifice break? I think it breaks where you don't have an end game for it. In other words, once you've established safety, once you put a couple bucks in the bank and you're still killing yourself, at what point is it worth it? If I'm being honest, I've rarely seen people make it worth it, no matter no matter how well they've done. And the cost has historically outweighed the the um the upside. I think that's very the this whole conversation is really you know hitting hitting me because I can relate on a smaller level. Um, like for me, what I'm doing now, and, and we spoke about this on the phone, just you know what we're trying to accomplish in our careers right now is dramatically different than it was probably 10 years ago for me, 20 years ago for you. Um, just doing more of the stuff that we love to do. Right. Remember, I told you about all the stuff I don't like to do. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Involving meetings. Yeah. Don't like to be in feedback calls or hey, meet this person. Um, you know, what do you focus on like doing that? Like gets you like super excited these days because you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, I think part of it too is um is recognizing that you can do what you want and recognizing that there's shit you don't have to do anymore, right? For example, um, uh, about eight years ago when we started startups.com, I had maybe one of the most cathartic moments in my life, which was me stopping and saying, man, I don't have to kill myself anymore. That's not the same as working a lot of hours or things like that. It meant I don't have to do a lot of shit that I don't want to do anymore. I'll give you some examples. I don't have to work with jerks anymore. I simply just don't have to do it anymore. I used to have to, I used to have no choice. If my clients were jerks, no matter what they had to say, I had $10 million a month of payroll. It didn't matter what they had to say, I had to work with them. And people think, oh, you've got a big company, you've got optionality. No, you don't. When you owe that, much, that many people money every month, you know, in the form of salaries, payroll, what have you, yeah. there's no way to unwind that. Um, you, you have to do whatever you have to do. Um, and that didn't feel like success to me, right? That felt like I was trapped. Um, the other side of it was uh, when I was raising money or I was working with big partners, et cetera, or just hiring, I worked with a lot of people I didn't like. And to be fair, they didn't like me either, right? You know, I'm, I'm no saint. Um, and in both cases, I didn't want to ever be in that situation anymore. I was like, if I don't, if I don't like you, I just don't want to work with you. Life's too short. Dude, if you don't like me, by all means, quit. Go do anything else. I'll help you find another job. Yeah. But I don't want to spend a single minute um, in that situation. I don't want to spend time answering to other people, right? Um, I don't want a VC who's literally never built my business to tell me exactly how my business is going to get built, right? 
That'd be yeah. like me telling LeBron James how to play basketball, right? Like I, I get that I've, I've watched basketball, but you're actually good at basketball. Like I'm not going to tell you how to play it. I didn't want to yeah. be in a position where I had people doing that to me all day, right? Hence why we don't have any investors. Um, yeah, I, the I, list I, goes on, right? You know, but I, I think at some point I realized that I could take command of that destiny. It took me a long time. Yeah, I can completely agree with that. And I think it's important for entrepreneurs to, you know, I've always, would you agree with this statement? You know, a lot of people, some people will say, follow your passion. And some people will say, you know, you don't need to be passionate about what you're doing to be successful. I've kind of changed opinions over the years, like with business apps, as an example, I was passionate because that was, you know, a, a path to a different life. My second company, Allcoin, um, wasn't as passionate about it. So it wasn't as successful as business apps. Um, so I'm a firm believer, if you're going to start a company, you need to be passionate about it. You need to be like, you, you need to like to get up and there's always going to be things that you don't like in the company. That's just how a company operates. You still got to file taxes. You still got to mm -hmm. let people go from time to time. Like there's just operational stuff you can't get away from. But my question here would be, in your opinion for entrepreneurs, you know, thinking about starting companies, how important is it for them to be passionate about the idea they're solving? Um, their product, market, whatever. Well, what if we split that? Uh, what if we said that there's passion, which is stuff you you want to do, and there's purpose, which is stuff you need to do, right? So my first few businesses, probably like yours, were based on purpose. I was broke. I needed, I needed this business to serve a purpose or it made me not broke. And so I needed this business to work and I worked my ass off at it. I wasn't passionate about it. It was a, uh, we, we built web pages. It was Blue Diesel. We were one of the first web design companies. Um, I was passionate because the internet was so intriguing at that time. And I was passionate about learning how to be an entrepreneur. But I didn't jump out of bed because I was excited to build a pharmaceutical company, a website about some random drug, right? There was just, I was not excited about that at all. Yeah. Uh, and so I couldn't even fake it. Uh, it paid well, but I couldn't fake it. Um, so there was no passion but it had a ton of purpose. I believed in the opportunity there. I believed in, in being able to grow something. I believed in giving people um, agency, that you know, people that, that we hired to be able to go do something great in their life. All that purpose existed, but I could give a shit less about that business. I then went on to start seven more businesses that I equally didn't give a shit about, right? Now, I learned this later. This wasn't, I didn't go into this with this understanding. So to be clear, it wasn't like, I was like, oh, I don't care about this business, but I'm going to do it anyway. At the time, I didn't understand the difference between passion and purpose. But what would happen is I would find a business opportunity, like the last one I did was unsubscribe.com, right? Which I think you mentioned that that, that you'd used. Yeah. Um, and it was just a cool idea. I wanted to get people off email at a time when unsubscribing off email wasn't really a thing. And so I called uh, Jamie Simonoff, who's a friend of mine who started Ring, the doorbell company, um, and uh, Josh. And I said, hey, uh, I've got this idea for something. Let's go after it. And Jamie said something to me later on, years later, that I thought was really interesting. He said, I'll never do that again. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, I'll never do something that I'm not passionate about, right? And, and he said specifically, he's like, well, that was your idea. And I just thought it was a cool opportunity. I don't ever want to pursue something that's somebody else's idea, somebody else's passion, and I'm just doing it for essentially what would have been purpose. And I was like, oh, I'm glad you learned that. Uh, then he did something he was passionate about in Ring, and look how that turned out. I did something that I was passionate about in startups.com and now it's my friggin' dream job. I mean, I get to do this all day long. It's awesome. 
I think that is some wisdom right there, Will. Purpose and then passion. Because, yeah, the first business, you know, I think entrepreneurs can transcend money. And then that's, you know, an opportunity to, to do a passion project. For me, yeah. it's like require helping other entrepreneurs. Sim- similar to startups.com, but on a smaller scale by a lot. Um, but that's so interesting how you put that as purpose. And I think that's that's just so true. It is purpose and it has more of like a deeper drive where you may not enjoy it, but you're doing it because, you know, it's going to lead you to, you know, a better life, other things, other opportunities that you know, you're going to enjoy further down the line that could even apply to people in careers, like people that are just starting their totally. first job. It's, it's like, you, you've got to put in the work now if you want to do the fun stuff later. Um, yeah. Well, think about it this way, man. Like right now, you know, I run startups.com because I get to help entrepreneurs and really it was a totally selfish play. I just wanted to be able to talk to founders all day. Do you remember when I called you out of the blue? You were, when I launched my card, you were one of the first people. And then it's like, will startups.com. I'm like, dude, this guy's a big deal. Like what? And you gave me feedback. I yeah. appreciated that more than you know. I appreciate that. Well, um, I had no outcome to it. I did it because I thought what you're doing was cool. And I get to talk to you all day long, right? Um, that's what I get to do. I didn't know how I was going to get paid for that, by the way. My whole goal with startups.com is I just want to talk to cool founders all day long. I don't know how that's a business opportunity. And uh, it became a, you know, a fairly big business, but it didn't start that way. It started because I said at the time, I don't want to do anything anymore that isn't aligned with my passion. Life's too short. It doesn't mean the other stuff I did was meaningless. I fully respect and appreciate what purpose those businesses serve to even allow me the opportunity to make that call. But listen, man, when I hit a point, I was 37 years old. I was like, look, man, I've, I've done eight businesses up until this point. Uh, I'm not that old, but I'm not that young, but I've been doing this long enough since I was 19 to kind of know what I want. And I don't want to spend another minute for the rest of my life doing stuff just to pay bills. I want to do stuff. I want to get up in the morning and be super fired up about what I get to do. I want my job to feel like a gift and somehow I'll figure out how to make money at it. How would you recommend an entrepreneur find their passion? You know, I think you could also blend purpose and passion too. Totally. And and if you can, you're lucky. But it's, I think when people say find your passion, it becomes this amorphous goal. And here's how, here's where people kind of screw it up. They say, well, I'm passionate about golf and I can't be a professional golfer. It's like, well, that's not the only way to be passionate about golf and, and, and monetize it, so to speak. You know, you could run an e-commerce site, you could run a blog, you could run a newsletter. There's a million ways that you could be involved and talk about golf all day that don't involve being a golfer, right? Like literally being yeah. paid to, to golf. Um, in my case, same thing. I didn't know how I was going to get paid to talk to founders all day. Um, I didn't want to be a VC or, or, or an investor, not at all. Just I'd be terrible at it. Um, and I didn't want to be a consultant. That just that felt too incidental. I didn't know what it was, to be honest. I just knew that 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 I love talking to founders. When I called you, I just wanted to talk to you. Like I just wanted to get to know you. I just wanted to hear about your business. I wanted to hear what, what was on on your mind, right? And like, I'm very fortunate that I have a business that allows me to do that. I love that. And so for people that are listening, what, what does startups.com do? Cause there's not just startups.com. You have a funding platform, you have uh, clarity FM. You bet. Yep. Can you describe like the whole ecosystem? Cause it's like from ideation all the way to scaling a business essentially. 
You bet. So uh, I'll work backward from the problem that it solves. Um, so my issue going into it when I was trying to figure out how to help founders is no one knows what they're doing. Everyone's usually going into it for the first time and they're going in with little or no experience and it's the most critical thing that, that, that they're ever going to do. And they need to know everything all at once and the stakes are as high as they're ever going to be. At least in a job, you've got years to figure it out. A startup, you've got months to figure it out and it's all your money you're burning through. The stakes are so high. Yeah. And it's something you're usually really, really fired up about. Um, so uh, the, the, again, stakes being pretty high. The second thing that I looked at was when people go to start, they actually don't know where to turn to. There's no like, in the same way, if I were to say, hey, you've got a, a, home, a home improvement project, go to Home Depot and pick up your supplies, whatever. There's like a go-to for, for that issue or a blog you can go to. When it comes to starting a company, there's no answer of where to go to. There's no brand associated with this is where you go if you have the idea to start a company. In tech, we'll hear like, well, you go to an incubator. Dude, that's hundreds of companies that that applies to, right? You know, yeah. uh, we see 20,000 companies a month, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Our purview is a little bit bigger than that. Um, and so functionally, what we do are three things. Um, we provide a platform for education. We've just got an ungodly amount of, of how-tos and walkthroughs and, and cheat sheets for every single thing you could possibly imagine from how to write a business plan, uh, hell, how to do your finances every month. We, like, we walk you step-by-step step how to close your books, which nobody knows. Um, so the education's one part. Second part is we've got a huge community of mentors. Clarity is a huge part of that. We've got 20,000 people uh, at the ready on every topic you could possibly imagine, uh, ready to talk to folks. And then the last part, which you also mentioned, uh, we've got a bunch of tools. We've got a business planning tool. We've got a capital raising tool. We've got a customer acquisition tool. People pay $29 a month. They get all of it. And you didn't build all this yourself either. You acquired most of these companies, correct? You bet. Yeah, we couldn't. Uh, you know, when I was starting to understand how big the vision of this thing was going to be, I was like, yeah, there's no way we're going to build clarity uh, and build launch rock and you know, I'm no possible way, but my friends did. And yeah. so like I called Dan Martell, you know, who, who I've known for a long time who built clarity. And I'm like, Dan, I've got this idea of pulling all these things together and building something big. Uh, and he loved it. He said, I'm down. You know, how do we do something? Uh, and I called Jameson Detweiler from launch rock. Same thing. You know, Hey, you know, what about this bigger thing? Um, and we ended up acquiring uh, six companies. We did diligence on 40, but we made six offers in addition to building our own stuff. Dang. Um, in terms, so you meet with 20,000 founders per month. Is that correct? 20,000 companies sign up a month. Gotcha. What is like, what's like, the, if you had like three main pieces of advice for first time entrepreneurs, what would it be? Uh, you know, let me expand on one main piece because I think it might be useful. And you and I actually talked about this the other day. Don't go it alone. And you're going yes. to go it alone. Yes. Right. Yes, I agree um, and, and, and no one gets it. So, so let me just build on that. Um, here's what we all do. We all announce that we're become entrepreneurs, you know, this our own fanfare press release, if you will. That's not what I'm talking about. You then start this journey and it starts with, Hey, this is awesome. I'm so fired up. And it ends with, Holy shit. I'm so lonely. Right. Why is everyone killing it? But me, like, why am I doing everything wrong? Like, why is everything breaking? And the truth is, if you go through this journey yourself and you don't surround yourself specifically with other founders, and we, you know, we can kind of talk about that, you're screwed. Because what's going to happen is you're going to take all of your cues from all the wrong people. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to talk to your friends and tell them how the business is going. They know what you do, 
but they don't really understand it the way you do, the way their founders do, right? It's like my buddy's a Navy SEAL. He tells me what it's like being in, in the theater of war. And I'm like, okay, I get that. But I've never been shot at, right? <laughs> like, I don't, <laughs> I don't really know what he's talking about, right? Yeah. Um, same thing. Like, your friends who have jobs, they understand you have a job, but they don't understand that, that you own the job. You can't quit. And if you do, you're screwed, right? Yeah. They don't understand you're tethered to it. You're going to take cues from your spouse. And they want to be supportive, but they've got an agenda, right? They want to make sure that the safety of your family is there. So when you say, hey, I'm going to do some cowboy move, that's kind of hard for them to get on board with. And, and they shouldn't get on board with it, right? Because <laughs> yeah. like, that's a terrible idea because it typically is. Um, and then you're going to, the, the worst is you're going to look at the media, right? Or social media. And you're going to look at other founders who everyone's killing it, right? I can tell you firsthand, I see 20,000 companies a month. No one is killing it. Everyone is just fucking up less in some capacity <laughs> at that moment, right? That yeah. is it. And I always say this is like something I, I believe more than anything. There are two types of founders, those that are scared to death and like crying themselves to sleep and those that are lying about it, right? Because <laughs> this, yeah. this thing is a terrifying yeah. journey. And so the, the reason I bring that up is because every founder I talk to goes through this alone. Um, they don't reach out to other founders. And I'm not just talking about mentors. I mean, other actual founders to compare notes. And I think it's super powerful to do that. Once I started doing that, it changed my life. I know that you've been in groups before where you've, you've met with other founders. You've had great success. Yeah. Uh, it it I matters. I couldn't agree with that more. I So I was in a peer CEO group called 10X CEO. I told you about this. Yeah. Before that, I wasn't even doing one-on-ones with my VPs. I, like it was basically like um, I was like 24, 25 at the time. I can't like Animal House movie. It was kind. Of, it yeah. was the company was growing because we had product market fit, but it wasn't operationally, you know, like running like a, a a professional company should. It never does. And then it wasn't until I joined a peer CEO group where they looked at my business and they were like. You, you seriously don't do like meetings with your VPs. Like you don't do like these all hands, like, you know, communication. And that's where I really learned things about, you know, the importance of culture, the importance of, you know, having people all growing in the same direction um, and a number of other things, but then also the support too. Cause as a founder, it's one of those weird roles where you have sales, marketing, product, finance, competition, invest, like all in your head revolving all at the same time. You don't have just one single part. And if any of those things break, it's your fault. And so like being, being a founder at a certain scale, really any scale is so emotionally draining at times. I can't agree with you more that just surrounding yourself with people that are, that can relate to that, you know, that, that sort of work environment mentally, but then also, strategically and tactically is so, so, so important because you learn from them and then they can give you advice on like, Hey, I've been there. This is kind of how I work through it. Um, so I, 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 for anybody listening, I would say definitely get a group of founders together because not only is it fun, but I agree with you. You learn so much, not only about other businesses, which, which helps you, but also just about yourself too. And you know, where your blind spots are. And that's where I've always gotten the most help from mentors is, you know, pointing out my blind spots, like, Andrew, you're not doing this well. Have you thought of doing it this way? Um, so just like leading into like, um, you know, uh, the next question is, how do you do mentorship at, at scale? Have you thought about, you know, doing any sort of mentorship programs with startups or 
you know, how do you, how do you, how, how do you address that issue with 20,000 startups that are signing up? Yeah. Here's, what's really interesting, man. Like about a year and a half ago, um, we started doing our startup therapy podcast. Um, and the, the premise of the podcast was that, Hey, I think there's another journey we should be talking about. Um, we, we talk about the startup journey. We talk about how Andrew's building his company. But we're not really talking about how Andrew is dealing with himself, the founder journey, right? And we started to realize after talking to more and more people, this gets into mentorship, um, that where Andrew was really struggling was on just really fundamental founder questions that he didn't really have the answer to, right? Things like, hey, I'm kind of tired of working at my startup. Is that okay? Right? <laughs> or like, hey, isn't making $250,000 like a home run? Why do I keep feeling like I'm, I'm going to be a loser if I, if I do that, right? Like... There's all these things that kind of everyone's thinking, but no one talks about. And so about a year and a half ago, we started the Startup Therapy podcast. And I had a list of like 200 topics that I was just going to talk through. And me and my co-host Ryan just started firing through each one. And we had no idea where the podcast was going to go. Uh, worth noting, that's why it's awesome to be able to do what we do at startups.com because it doesn't matter where it's going. So long as we enjoy it, that it, it gets put on the docket, then it's part of our product roadmap. Um, but we, we launched it and people started to go nuts over it. Not a ton of people. It's not the, the world's biggest podcast, but people started to reach out to us and say, dude, like this is life changing for me. I had this one guy and like the first month we launched it, he wrote this long like essay to me, which is so cool for him to do. He's super vulnerable and I really appreciated it. And he said, my girlfriend and I were driving across country I'm in the middle of a startup, what have you. And we ended up just like binge listening to your, to your startup podcast. And he said, somewhere along the, the drive, she looks over at me and I'm crying. Wow. And she's like, whoa, what's going on? He's like, this is everything that's been in my head that I haven't been able to tell you. Right? Wow. Yeah. I was like, shit. Do you remember what some of the topics were? Um, one of the early ones was the emotional cost of being a founder. Meaning like we talk about the financial cost. We talk about, you know, all the things, but like, no one really talks about like, what's the bank account balance of your emotions because they're getting ripped apart every day. And at some point that comes home to roost. Right. Yeah. And so I, we, we unpack that. Yeah. I, I would always tell um, like my wife and my friends now, like I can look in retrospect while running business apps, I would always say about 25% of my mind was never there. I was yep. never fully present because couldn't be. You just have so much stuff that you have to think about and worry about. And, yep. you know, it, it, and it's, again, when you're in that purpose phase or you're just extremely driven to make this work. Yeah. Like I can totally relate to that. And it's true. And a lot of yeah. founders do not talk about it. A lot of founders are posting on Twitter. Everything's good. Well, but it's tough. It's tough mentally. In, in times are changing. You know, we're, this is, we're starting to bring these conversations to the forefront. But when you're asking about mentorship, what, what it occurred to us when we started to go through that process um, with startup therapy was that we were missing a huge part of our product roadmap in that, again, um, yes, we can get you more customers, get you funding, all that great stuff, but that wasn't really the problem you were taking home at night, right? The problem you're taking home at night is what am I doing with my life, right? Like, you know, why do I feel like such a failure? You know, all these hard emotional issues. And so, you know, that's where we started to put together the founder groups so that, which was an outgrowth of startup therapy so that we can start getting founders connected to each other 
and just get all this shit off their chest in a room full of people that actually knew what they were talking about. Because generally we don't have peers. You know, we have friends, which we never see, but we rarely have peers, people who actually do exactly what we do and know exactly what we're going through. And it's a huge miss. And so that's a big part of where we've been trying to, to get folks connected. The mentorship we've got with Clarity, there's every mentor you could ever imagine on there. They're on the phone with somebody every 90 seconds. Um, wow. So, so that in their the reviews on there, the product on there is great. I didn't build it, so I can't take credit for it. I just bought it. Um, but it's an awesome product. What, what What's missing now, what we're doing, uh, what we're focusing our time on is getting everybody's head right. That's awesome, man. I, I can agree with that more because I feel like every founder thinks they need to build a unicorn to be successful. And that's like the, the worst way to have, you know, when you first start a company, if that's your goal, you have a 1% chance. And that's if you raise money of building this billion dollar company. And that journey, I feel a lot of founders raise money or they build a product, they raise money. And then the next thing they know, they're in this environment that's hyper stressful. They didn't know what they were getting themselves into. They're extremely unhappy when they could have just built a business to maybe a million dollars a year, or like you said, even a hundred, whatever it's, it's just profitable. It pays for their life. Like I, I'm, I'm so in agreement with what you're saying in terms of just, I feel like our startup culture has kind of minimized what, you know, true success really is and has sort of glamorized these billion dollar headlines where, yeah, you, you're worth 2 billion on paper. Um, and you've raised a lot of money and that's, that's awesome. Like hats off to any entrepreneur that can do that. But the reality is 99% of other entrepreneurs, there's a much better path that in my opinion, they should be going down, which is, you know, don't focus on raising money, focus on customers, focus on just, like you said, being happy and really just building a sustainable business. Like that's a startup in my mind, a successful startup, a home run startup is something that just pays your bills, you're your own boss, and you don't have to do the things you don't like. But, um, you know, I think the media has kind of, you know, as humans, we're drawn to extremes. We love to hear yep. about billions and stuff like that. Um, and, it, and it sounds awesome, but, you you know, it's not life-changing. Life-changing is 250K. I'm not saying more money doesn't change life as well, but I'm going to tell you, I've... Dude, I've met with so many founders. I mean, I've probably had this conversation in depth over way too many vodkas with at least a thousand founders. Everyone from folks that have sold their companies for billions of dollars, and I mean even within the past couple of years, to people who made like 200K. And they'll all say the same thing. I've never heard a deviation from this. They say, the first few hundred thousand dollars that I made that actually made me safe changed 90% of my life. The rest of the stuff where I made like, you know, hundreds of millions or anything else like that had so little net impact, right? But that's what everybody thinks they're looking for. And okay. so, uh, in the way I describe it to people is focus on becoming safe first. Safety is 90% of everything you should be doing. It's also not that expensive, by the way. I think we did an episode on startup therapy a couple months ago talking about exactly this, like, like what the cost of safety is. It's way lower than people think it is. So why not optimize for that first? So Andrew, like if, if for micro requirements making this up, if I could say, hey man, the probability of you getting to a million dollars making 250K a year net uh, on a consistent basis over time, not even having to put as much work into it is like 60%, which would still be pretty high by the way, right? Yeah. Your probability of taking that to a billion dollars 
is like 0.01%. <laughs> it's less than that. Yeah, why would you focus on a billion dollars? That doesn't even make sense. And hey, by the way, if you get it to a million dollars, you can always scale it bigger. It's not like if you only focus on a million dollars, somebody comes in and takes your opportunity away. Um, yeah. People get fun. wildly it, distracted. It's, it's funny you say that because that's exactly what I'm doing. Like my goal is literally just to pay my property taxes, help entrepreneurs and have fun. Yep. Because one of my favorite quotes, um, you know, relating to money is money only solves money problems. Right. After a certain amount, you just buy a bigger house, you get faster cars, not, nothing that will truly make you happy. Um, firm believer about that. I learned it, you know, a different way. Um, so totally in alignment with that. In terms of just pay your bills, do what you love. Well, not- you also don't need that much money to be safe. Right. So like, you know, if you were to put a dollar figure on it, safety starts at about a hundred thousand dollars put in the bank and caps at about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars put in the bank. And it's as simple as saying this. How many life problems are you likely to run into that will cost you more than the money you have in the bank? If You've got ten million dollars in the bank. What life problem are you saving that money for? Um, Unless you, you know, have some horrendous like insurance issue or, or, you know, the world's worst medical issue of all time. Um, chances are you can solve 90% of any problem you'll run into for less than a hundred thousand dollars, right? Safety is a, is a far smaller number than people realize it is, but they don't quantify it. And so they just say, well, if I had $10 million, I'd never worry about money. People who say that also never made $10 million or have made $1 million. I'm telling you firsthand, the first time I made $100,000, I was 90% safe. And ever since then, yeah. when I made geometrically more, it made very little difference. Just saying. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I guess, um, you know, final final questions. Um, what entrepreneurs do you look up to? And also, I got to say, well, you, you, number one, you're, you know, impacting entrepreneurs in such a positive way. It's it's inspiring to hear you say this stuff. Thanks, Ben. Two, and you're also probably increasing the GDP of the world with, you know, 20,000 startups going through <laughs> startups. Try it, man. Like, man, talk about accomplishments. And then also just the message that you're bringing to the startup community, I think is the one that everyone needs to hear. Just, you know, redefining what success is. It's not the headlines in TechCrunch. It's not, you know, going after the 1%. It's really understanding you know, what's going to make you happy. And I think like you said it best, it's, it's probably a lot lower than you think it is. And more um, achievable. Yeah. So I love what you're doing. Um, the final questions, um, who do you, like, I look up to you now, like, holy, <laughs> holy shit. Um, what entrepreneurs um, inspire you or have you always looked up to? Um, I'm old school. Um, you know, I, I look up to uh, like the Bill Gates of the world. Um, I look up, I won't say Steve Jobs. I, I don't dislike Steve Jobs. I just, uh, I've been more kind of a Bill Gates guy. You're going to um, have so many people just, you know, liking you, not liking yeah, you. Yeah, no, I have n- nothing against Steve Jobs. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not knocking Jobs. Um, um, I would, I would kill in my career to have his failures. <laughs> put it that way. Um, but, um, uh, guys like Gates, what I, what I've loved about guys like that, he stayed the course, he stayed focused, he stayed on his game for so long, right? I mean, the stuff Gates is doing now is more impactful than the stuff he did at the most like impactful business side of his career. He's like, I'm going to put, you know, a, a computer on every desktop. And oh, by the way, I'm going to cure malaria, right? Yeah. I mean, this guy is you know, baller at the, the nth degree. 
um, you know, uh, as we're recording this, we're, you know, about a month away from, from our election. And I always think to myself, what if he were running the country? You know, what if we could, what if, what if a country could recruit that level of, of talent and in run an entire country with kind of the, the discipline and the focus and, and the outcomes that he did, like, what would any country look like? Um, and so I look, I look to people who have that level of scale. Bezos definitely gets up there. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, people who are, who don't have the, the dollar success. Um, but I just, I, I can't spend enough time with, um, uh, DHH from Basecamp. Um, maybe, maybe one of the, the smartest people I know. Um, and you know, actually he was the one, he and I were sitting in Los Angeles a couple years ago. He had just moved to his house in Malibu and, uh, we were sitting down talking and we were having a discussion about how, you know, uh, similar, he had a, you know, a challenging childhood and how the first hundred thousand dollars changed his life compared to where he's at now. Right. And he's got this insane lifestyle as the rich and famous life now. Yeah. He said the same thing, man. He's like, dude, honestly, like, like, yes, I can afford more expensive stuff, but all the important purchases came like 20 years ago. Yeah. Right. This is all marginal utility at this point. And, it, and he's right. Um, but I look up to guys like him and, and Jason Fried at Basecamp because they pioneered the narrative that a lot of this is bullshit and they've been adamant, adamant about it for a very long time. And I think they've started to actually finally start to drive the conversation the right way. And they were saying it long before it was fashionable. So, you know, that matter of respect there. Yeah. I, I remember their book rework. I actually read that before I started my company in college. Yeah. I applied some of the principles. It was so long ago. I can't remember exactly which parts, but they've had an influence on my career too, which is pretty cool. They, they're incredibly thoughtful. Even if you don't agree with everything they say, it actually doesn't matter. You really can't disagree with, with how thoughtful those guys are. Yeah. They're awesome. I guess, um, you know, any book recommendations? You know, there's, there's two books I live by and, and uh, uh, I, I don't, consume a ton of books uh, the way I wish I did. I do a ton of reading, but not a ton of books. Um, the two books that changed my life by far, um, which were both given to me by somebody else, and I didn't understand why they handed them to me at the time. The first one was um, The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. In, in my mind, that is like the 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 handbook to being a, 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 a an evil master plan kind of guy. Um, there's so much truth in that book. Yeah. Um, you're a complete asshole once you're done reading it. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's so incredibly true. Um, you know, just the, the framework for how people act, um, how to respond, how to think about things. Um, I don't try to act like the principal of those, those books, but I think about them all the time. That was one. The second one was, uh, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Also a book that anybody that reads is a complete asshole after that as well. What's fascinating about the premise of that book about Atlas Shrugged is, you know, Ayn Rand wrote it at a time when, um, socialism was on the rise, et cetera. And she was basically saying, what would happen if the entire country started to just take everything away from the people who were productive? And what if the people who were productive just quit? <laughs> and it's about, you know, it's about a 1200 page book on that premise. And what she wrote about, I can't remember the timestamp on the book. I, I want to say thirties, forties is literally happening in the U S right now. This isn't me making a political statement, by the way, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm very political. I'm saying that we're, we're getting this huge chasm between the most productive, in some cases, most rich people in the world 
in those that, that want to take it from them. And again, I'm not taking sides here. I'm just pointing out that, that we're actually watching this book play out. Um, but it really shaped my life. It really shaped my, my, my thinking about the difference between socialism and capitalism. I haven't read either of those books. And within the next weeks, I promise you, I'm going to have them read. I have a whole bookcase right here. I'm an avid reader. They're life-changing. They're not light reads. And what I mean by that, it's the kind of book where uh, it took me four years to read Atlas Shrugged. I don't even know if I finished it. Um, because well, it's, maybe, it's big... I got to take that back. Not, not next week, maybe next well, year. Well, uh, what I meant was they're interesting reads because I, I'd read two pages and I'd have to put the book down because my head was exploding, right? I was like, oh, dude, I, I have to think about this, right? And, and that sounds silly, right? But, like, but the, the books provoked so much in me, which made them good books, that it, I spent four years thinking about what I was reading, not just trying to turn pages in a book. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me on this podcast. This has been just a pleasure speaking with you. Congrats on all your success. If, if people want to hear more about you or, you know, connect with you, where can they find you online? Yeah. So I'm at Will Schroeder at Twitter, uh, W I L S C H R O T E R. But I think what might be more helpful for folks listening, um, if you're going it alone, we talked about the founder groups, Andrew, and you want to be in a founder group, hit me up. Uh, will at startups.com. Doesn't matter how you spell it. It'll still get to me. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I'll find you a group wherever you are in the world. I'll find you a group of your peers. I'll make sure that, um, that there's people who understand you that are kind of in your world. Um, even if they're not in your hometown, I'll find them anywhere in the world uh, that fit where you're at, what stage at that time, and it will help you out. Awesome. And Will's a man of his word too. He literally hit me up out of the blue and was like, hey, can I give you feedback? So, Will, thanks again for uh, joining me on this podcast. Really appreciate it. All right, man. Thanks for having me. Cheers.